You are listening to Sing Amen, Ministering Through Music. I am Jennifer Kerr-Budziak, and welcome to our podcast. The most revolutionary uh, mapping in my mapping journey, as a pianist especially, was mapping my sternoclavicular joint, because people don't realize that that's part of your arm. So if you find your collarbone and you walk your fingers along your collarbone toward your sternum, and you'll find right there it ends with a bump, and then raise your shoulders, and you'll feel the movement of your collarbone and your shoulder blade. And once you find that, you'll find if you're conducting, you'll have a more free, larger gesture. You'll have a lot more available to you in playing your keyboard instrument. And for singers, mapping this whole arm structure can help you start to get some freedom to get your arms out of the way for your breathing. When I look back over the past few decades of my life as a musician, it sometimes feels like I've spent an inordinate amount of my professional life dealing with tension and pain and stiff shoulders and tendonitis and all kinds of bodily aches. And a lot of my colleagues would say the same, I expect. And in addition to that, there was just sometimes the feeling of knowing that my fingers or arms or voice should be able to do what I wanted, but it just seemed like so much work to get there, like I was fighting against myself to achieve what I knew was in me to achieve. But honestly, it never occurred to me to wonder if any of this was optional. I just thought that was part of, you know, life of being a musician. I had heard about this thing called body mapping, and I had seen some of the books, but I never quite seemed to find the opportunity to really dig in and learn about it or find out if it could help me. I mean, I was too busy working and practicing and taking Advil for my aching joints and tension headaches, you know? Until last summer, when Bridget Jankowski, who is the author of Body Mapping for Music Ministers, sat down with me one day during the 2018 NPM convention in Baltimore, and she taught me more about this amazing practice. So this podcast episode is essentially a distillation of that conversation. And please excuse some of those extraneous road noises. We couldn't really get away from those. Bridget's work and her book, it talks not only about body mapping as a vehicle to increased clarity and efficiency for the musician's body, not to mention decreased pain as we make music, but also how this practice can help deepen our awareness and our focus as we perform our work as ministers. Our conversation quite literally changed almost everything for me about the way I conduct, the way I sing, the way I sit at the computer, the way I teach, the way I work with my own choruses. It's it's incredible. And I'll just leave it there and let you continue to listen because Bridget explains it far better than I can. And if this intrigues you even a little, Bridget herself will be speaking at the NPM convention in Raleigh, North Carolina in a little over a week, and she'll be giving one of the mega breakout sessions on body mapping. So please, if you can, come see her in person and learn from this truly remarkable teacher. So here we go. Well, I'm here with Bridget Jankowski, who is the author of Body Mapping for Music Ministers. And I'm very, very grateful that you've taken some time to sit and we can talk about this. And uh, it's just a fascinating, fascinating topic. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Body mapping is obviously one of my favorite things to talk about. So this is easy. Um, as we start, before we talk about you and your background and how you got into this, can you just tell us what is a body map? So a body map is a map of our body that exists in our brain. It's not a metaphor. It is an actual map. We have many maps in our brain, and neuroscientists are just starting to discover and explore our body maps. The map of our body is simply how we think of our body, and it's individual to each person. So your body map 
is how you think about your body. My body map is how I think about my body. And the body map governs our movement. So we move according to our map, however we think that is. And if our map is incorrect, then our movement will be off, sometimes injury producing. Mm -hmm. And if our map is good, we will move easily. And you can just see when you observe people, you know, everybody moves a little differently. And as you get into this work, you can start imagining what their body map might be. So neuroscientists are starting to explore that. It was, it was experiential work. And the teachers were discovering that as they uh, got a good anatomical understanding of their body, their movement was changing. And then they got verification from scientists that, yes, indeed, this is science. And people are getting PhDs now working on body mapping research. Wow. I think on your, um, you had a little, you have a little sampler video on the, on the GIA website with the book, there was a really fancy neurological name for a body map. Yes, a neuronal self-representation. Neuronal self-representation. Yes, yes, and, but, but body map. Body map is good. Yeah. Um, some, some people call it self-representation, and a lot of people who work with uh, movement and body work are starting to uh, use the concept of body mapping just because it makes their work efficient. So sometimes you'll get a very knowledgeable physical therapist who will understand and will maybe try to get you to remap because that's going to help you prevent whatever injury you're right. there for. So body mapping is can be a tool in your toolbox, if you will, that goes along with any kind of other movement work that you're doing. So whether it be Alexander technique or yoga or physical therapy or you know any kind of yeah. body work, Feldenkrais. And you, you found your way into body mapping through Alexander Technique, right? I did. I am a Suzuki piano teacher, and I'm now a full-time music minister, and I still have a few students. But when I was a full-time Suzuki teacher, I had a mentor who said, you need to go get some Alexander Technique lessons. And so I found Barbara Conable in Columbus, Ohio, and I went to her a couple times a month. And I went with the intention of becoming a better teacher because I wanted my students to play more easily. And I found, of course, that I couldn't just learn the information to teach it. I had to own it. You have to learn to do it yourself. So I, uh, through the process, became a much better musician and a much better player and, of course, a better teacher. And then a full-time music ministry job came my way. And I realized that through my body mapping experience, I was a better minister. And I tried to put my head around why that was. Then I read Tom Mark is a body mapping colleague. He wrote What Every Pianist Needs to Know About the Body. Mm -hmm. And he also wrote Motion, Emotion, and Love, which is published by GIA. And that book really brought home the artistry and the intention and the way that being free from my body could help me be a better minister and it let me put things into words so that I could write the book that I did. So Barbara Conable and Bill Conable were Alexander Technique teachers. Yes. And they started realizing that when a student would come to them and their movement was off, they would ask them how they thought about their body. And they found that when their anatomical understanding of their body was off. No matter what they did, they couldn't get them to move more easily until that student integrated the correct anatomy of an understanding of the way their body works. And mostly with body mapping, we 
we deal with joints. In my book especially, I'm just mostly concerned with joints because I think that's a good place to start. Mm -hmm. And so when these students would change their body map by getting a clear understanding and assimilate their understanding of how and where their joints are and how their joints work, their movement instantly changed. And so they thought, oh, there must be something to this. And yeah. so then Barbara Conable started inquiring. Richard Nichols is the science advisor to Andover Educators. Andover Educators is the international association for people who do body mapping work and they license people to teach. They commission a lot of images. We have a medical illustrator who has done a lot of the images in our book and so we work with her. Her name's Holly Fisher, she's in Ann Arbor and she creates images specific to what we are trying to teach people about their anatomy and their body. So Andover Educators, that's their role. They, okay. they train, they oversee licensing people and the images and and you were licensed so, to teach it. Oh, I'm, yeah. I was actually the first person licensed to teach. Really? Yes. A colleague of mine um, and I, we actually co-taught the course and were the first people licensed wow. to teach. So that was 1998, I think. Yeah, 20 years ago. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so I've been doing this work a long time. Yeah. We had talked a little earlier about how you know the challenges of doing this for an audio podcast. Even though we're in an audio medium here, it requires people to visualize for themselves what we're talking about and what's happening. Can you help me remap a couple of my joints? Okay, so uh, a good place to start, and it's not the only place to start, but it's an easy place to start usually for most people, is the AO joint. It's the atlas occipital joint, and it is where your head meets the top of your spine. So the top vertebrae is called the atlas, and you don't need to know that, but... <laughs> <laughs> it's AO just joint a way to talk. Okay, so <laughs> your AO joint is where your uh, head meets your spine. And a lot of people have this joint mismapped, and you can see it in their movement. They have it mismapped at the back of their skull. So if you just reach up and touch the back of your skull, and that's where a lot of people try to move their head. Which makes sense because that externally you can feel that. I mean, right. I'm, I'm putting my finger feel back that, there now. But that joint is actually right between your ears. So if you point inside, point into your ears, just take your fingers and stick them right in there. <laughs> it's in your ears. And so that is where your AO joint is. It's in the middle of your head. So it's halfway between your nose and your the back of your skull and also halfway between your ears. It's right in the center. And your spine comes up that high. And that's where your head rests on your spine. And so if you perceive that joint, I don't even want to say imagine, because mm -hmm. you can perceive it. You can't touch it, but you can perceive that that's where it is. And just give your head an easy nodding motion. A lot of times that'll give you some freedom in your neck and start to ease up. And as I'm doing this, you know, right now here, that as I'm doing this, I'm feeling... I'm feeling the way I'm thinking about that joint now, it's shifting the way my rib cage is, it's shifting my shoulders, it's shifting the way I sit. Um, I'm actually having to shift in my chair now because the, the rest of my body below that is responding to this joint finding right. a good place. Yes. You can also hear if I go off balance and I have my joint mismap, this is my voice. And then if I come back to balance, it changes everything because things can resonate in the right places. Yeah. That's a big one for cantors I've worked with where 
and, and in myself too, when I've sat at the piano and, and tried to sing into a microphone, you do a little demonstration of this on that video uh, on the website, that there's something instinctive, that microphone's in front of you and you think, and I think, oh geez, I should be closer to it. And so I sort of jump my chin out. I don't even lean forward in a healthy way, but the chin kind of goes out to get closer to that microphone and then everything in that area where I'm trying to phonate gets a little, you know, it gets a little depressed and harsher and I can't. And you could just hear yeah. when you said it gets a little bit harsher. You can you hear it in your voice. Yeah. So it's, that's yeah. good for a podcast. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. That's, that's a very oral, you can hear, oral thing. You can hear the difference. And uh, many cantors I work with do the same thing. You know, they'll, they will have beautiful, beautiful posture and alignment when they're singing without a microphone. And then even, I mean, classically trained, you know, people who have, who have worked in opera and worked in theater, old-fashioned theater where it's projecting, there's sure. not microphones, mm-hmm. there'll be a microphone in front of them, especially tall men, where if the microphone isn't already high. And rather than adjusting the microphone or, you know, stepping back, they let their head, you know, they hunch their shoulders a little, they let their head come down, and it changes the ability of their voice to do what their voice is really well-trained to do. And the sound isn't as, you know, it isn't as resonant, it isn't as beautiful, and it makes them uncomfortable. So they are not able to be the singer that they are. Well, and in turn, the assembly sees that. And so the assembly isn't getting what they need yeah. either because they see that and they can sense that. Yeah, and it's, it's the very act of relying on the microphone that creates a greater, a bigger need to rely on the microphone. Right. Because when you do that, then the sound gets, you, right. you really exactly. need it to make the sound because you've lost right. your ability to do it yourself. Right. Yeah. And I, I, this is probably a good time to say um, you balance your head, but the whole point of body mapping and balance of the body is so that you can move. So you never want to balance and stay there. Right. You know, your, your head is designed to move and you could stick out your chin if you needed to, but we would like to say that's not where you want to live. Right. <laughs> you always have to come home <laughs> to find that place of balance. And the same can be said for hip joints and, and arm structure. Obviously, yeah. we need to move easily. And so finding those balanced places are then places from which to move. The hip joint is another one that fascinates me. And that was one of the things that struck me in your book, one of the joints that for me, hasn't been an issue. But now that, you know, once I read your book, I was like, that's what is happening to my singers. I mean, I sing with the CSO chorus and, you know, it's 150 sometimes trained singers. All of our rehearsals on all the repertoire we ever sing, we do seated. There is never a, oh my gosh, I can't sing this unless I stand up moment in that chorus. You know, the highest sopranos, they can sing their high C's as well seated as they can standing. And I think that's, I feel like that probably has a lot to do with a good, healthy map of the spine. I get very annoyed when I'm in a chorus and I'm like, well, can we please stand up? I'm like, why? <laughs> I can sing just as well like this right. and my feet won't hurt. Right. You know, I've, I've heard that too from wind players, that they breathe differently when they stand from when they sit. Mm-hmm. I guess we can map the hip joint because, and this is the other um, lock your knees, don't mm-hmm. lock your knees issue mm-hmm. is choristers that stand, anybody who stands and tends to lock their knees, I find can unlock their knees but won't necessarily be balanced unless they find their hip joint. Uh. Because if you first map your entire spine, so we talked about the top of your spine being between your ears, and the bottom of your spine is your tailbone. 
Mm -hmm. So you have that very, very long torso, and there's no joint no at waist your joint. waist. No waist joint. There is no <laughs> waist joint. So then to find your hip joint, that's where your legs meet your pelvis, and you can Google a picture of the pelvis or, mm -hmm. <laughs> or the hip joint and find that. Um, and it's where your legs move. It's often lower than people think because people think their hip is where the tailor will measure it. Mm -hmm. And that's usually like the top of your pelvis and your hip joint's lower than that. And if you have on jeans or pants with pockets, it's usually right at the bottom of your pockets. And if you point right to the bottom of your pockets, like if there's a rivet at ah. the bottom of your pocket, that's usually right at your hip joint. So it's that low. Yeah. So then not only do your legs move from that joint, but your torso moves from that joint. Mm -hmm. So if you're sitting on a bench or sitting and singing, having that joint mapped will give you that freedom of using your whole torso. So if your singers are standing with their knees locked and you ask them to unlock their knees, you better ask them to map their hip joint because they'll need to come forward there a little bit. Huh? Okay. Because the way the weight delivers through the spine, and this is another big mapping balance issue, it's through the front half of the spine. The weight-bearing half of the spine is the front of the spine, not the part that you feel in your back. Wow. So if you're trying to put your weight down your back, you're mismapped. Th that's going to not be as free as yeah. if that place where your weight delivers is actually closer to your belly button. So when you come forward on your hip joints, Mm -hmm. and you feel that weight delivery through the front of you, and a lot of times we say through your core, but mm -hmm. we don't use core the way maybe um, your... Pilates your, teacher. Yeah, right? yeah. We'll, we'll use core, but it is more in the center of you. It's not mm -hmm. down your back. So to unlock your knees, you need to find your hip joint and know that that's weight delivery in the front of you, and then you can have your whole torso yeah. balanced. So let's do one more. Okay. What about the... Okay, arm structure, and, and this is my the most revolutionary uh, mapping in my mapping journey as a pianist especially, was mapping my sternoclavicular joint because people don't realize that that's part of your arm. So if you find your collarbone and you walk your fingers along your collarbone toward your sternum, and you'll find right there it ends with a bump, and then raise your shoulders, and you'll feel the movement of your collarbone and your shoulder blade. And once you find that, you'll find if you're conducting, you'll have a more free, larger gesture. You'll have a lot more available to you in playing your keyboard instrument, where um, it's really uh, critical string instruments, even you know balancing your violin and moving your yeah. bow. And for singers, mapping this whole arm structure can help you start to get some freedom to get your arms out of the way for your breathing, freeing up that arm structure and letting that balance. It's completely revolutionary to me. I had never, and I actually, I had piano teachers work with me on playing from, a, from more of the arm, not, uh, when we were talking earlier, you talked about you, it drives you crazy when people talk, play with more finger strength Right, or right. Use your fingers. You've got to get your strong fingers. You have no muscles in your fingers. Barbara Connable used to say, if you had muscles in your fingers and you were a pianist, you'd have fingers the size of basketballs. <laughs> but it's all about using your whole body balanced well. And when you're using your arm well, then you don't have to tell your fingers what to do. They just come along for the ride and they do yeah. a great job. <laughs> they do. Well, mine sometimes. <laughs> but... 
So maybe this is a good time to to shift into the other areas you talk about, you know, the awareness and intentionality and right. how this how this works with ministry, not just about making my body the instrument better right. for making music, but So we always hear in ministry that you have to be transparent. And I think a lot of people, even in prayer, try to find it out somewhere. What I realized was that the more I was aware of my body, the more I was out of the way and that, that I could just be filled with whatever I needed. And I was then able to just be the vessel and the vehicle for whatever needed to happen spiritually because I was out of the way. But I didn't get out of the way by ignoring myself or trying to go outside of myself. I got out of the way by becoming more aware of myself. And the more aware I was and the more free I was, the more I could get out of the way. And then you could, at that point, you could spread your awareness further. Right. When you're aware and you're free, then you can more easily, and um, body mapping was a tool to make me a more confident performer so that I could trust my body to do what I needed it to do and be out of the way and become more aware of things around me. So my fellow musicians, my choir, my, my assembly, especially my assembly, my presider, the intention of what I was playing and how it fit in the liturgy so that I was just a part of everything and I truly could be out of the way and just be a part of everything. And the whole thing about being aware of the assembly, I could be responsive to them, give them what they needed. If they weren't singing, give them more melody. If they were singing, do something more supportive for that singing because, because I could, because I was out of the way. I mean, it's interesting because when I had talked to uh, Diana Gurkcha about her Cantor Handbook right. that just came out, she talks about the transparency and how as musical performers, a lot of the way we're trained to quote unquote perform involves putting up that fourth wall that separates us from the people that we are performing for, whether it's an instrument or singing where you are the instrument, but there's still somehow a lot of training, whether it's explicit or implicit or just watching the way it's done, puts that barrier up and I am the performer and you are the audience and there's a separation. And it seems like simply this, you know, just as an exercise, this awareness it's absolutely true, and I think you will never find um, an Andover educator or someone doing body mapping telling you to put that wall yeah. there. It's so, that is what makes people, that's what gives people performance anxiety. Mm -hmm. And it's when you open up your awareness and you include the audience that makes it easier. It's so hard to concentrate. I don't, we don't use that word. You don't concentrate. You need a little bit of focus where you need it, but you mm -hmm. have to keep that wide awareness. And that's what will make you a better minister. And that's how I came to that through this body mapping work. Yeah. And I think all good performers have that. I have walked into a recital hall where the performer has that. If you're at a really great concert, you can feel it. It's it, it's tingly in there. Yeah. And that's what that is. That's everybody's combined awareness, being present in the moment. Mm -hmm. And that's in mass and whatever you're doing, that's, I believe that's the work of the Holy Spirit yeah. that is alive in that place because 
everybody is present to each other and there are no walls. Right, there are no walls. And if that can happen in a performance hall with that kind of musical event, musical performance, how much more important is it in in our liturgical worship where there's no audience? Right, and, and where part of- all of us are it. When I was first at, at my church and I was just exploring this and I'm like, okay, this is happening. And, and people would come up to me and they would say, I don't know what it is, but I can feel it. <laughs> it took me a while to, to figure out how to put that into words, but I think we hear that a lot, and people are like, yeah, you have to engage your assembly, and but we never get the, this is how you do it. This is how you do it, yeah. And I feel like this book can be a how-to manual for this is how you do it. Yeah. You can't do it by gesturing differently or emoting with your face. It's something that goes much deeper than that. Right. And yeah, and it's, it is hard to talk about. And we, that, that's what's so exciting about your book is that, and the whole body mapping practice that there is, there is a, you know, a physical anatomical way to not to automatically do it, but to, to create or to be part of the instrument that is able to be part of this. Right. That you can get to a place by using body mapping as one tool and you can get to a place of freedom so that you can get out of the way and then let your intention and and I talk to my choir too about intention um, you know of course we we talk about mapping in terms of how it, it will help them sing but we also always talk about what we're singing and why we're singing it and what's what's the intention so that we're all on the same page you name it this is what we're doing and this yeah. is how it's happening when I give workshops I will frequently end with an okay if you remember nothing else I said today take this home with you. Is there anything? I think I would say it can be overwhelming. So start somewhere. Just start with whatever resonates to you. If it's one joint or it's just one awareness piece or even one singer in your choir that you just feel like you can't reach, but maybe there's something in the body mapping world that will speak to them. Just find one place and start there. I've been doing this work for 20 years and I still learn things. Lifelong learning, right? That's what right. we do. And, and I still learn from my colleagues. We're still discovering things. So just start one, one place. And you know, even if it's just trying to be quiet to yourself. One is the body. Yeah.
information, including details about the music you heard on today's podcast, please visit our website at singamen.giamusic.com. Sing Amen is produced and supported by GIA Publications.